Acts chapter 6. While you're turning there, I want you to think of think about something again with me this, this evening. I want you to think about this. Retaining unity requires repositioning. It's a lot of R's. Retaining unity requires repositioning. Just think about that for a little bit. Acts chapter 6. Hopefully I'll explain this to you over the next little bit. Again, remember Acts chapter 5, looking back, there um, was people that were giving to the um, church. They were, they were selling their lands, they were selling houses, and then we remember beginning of uh, chapter 5, we see Ananias and Sapphira who sold their land or sold their possession, and they only gave part of what they said they would give, and they, we see them die actually from that because they lied to the Holy Spirit, the Bible says. And then after that, we see everybody in one accord in Solomon's porch, and the apostles are preaching and teaching in the temple, and the high priest comes as normal, which we have seen over the last several um, instances is normal. The high priest comes, takes them into custody, and, and begins to uh, put them through the ringer, so to speak, and we see the, um, the wonderful work of the Lord in, in providing a way of escape for them out of jail, and we just see that God can do anything. God can change lives. God can break someone out of jail. God can free somebody from their sin. God can do anything if we will just trust him. So Acts chapter 6 kind of begins a new part and where we start to dig a little bit deeper into the function of the church. And I want to be very practical with you tonight. I do want to give you some of the philosophy behind this, but I want to get, get down to the practical, the nitty-gritty, if you will. So Acts chapter 6, look at verse 1. The Bible says, And in those days when the number of the disciples was multiplied, I love that, not just added, but multiplied. I mean, they are seeing people come to this church like crazy. When the number of the multitude was multiplied, or the disciples was multiplied, there arose a murmuring of the Grecians against the Hebrews because their widows were neglected in the daily ministration. Then the twelve called the multitude of the disciples unto them and said, It is not reason that we should leave the word of God and serve tables. Wherefore, brethren, look ye out among you seven men of honest report, full of the Holy Ghost and wisdom, whom we may appoint over this business, but we will give ourselves continually to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And the saying pleased the whole multitude. And they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Ghost, and Philip, and Prochorus, and Nicanor, and, and Timon, and Parmenas, and Nicholas, a proselyte of Antioch, whom they set before the apostles. And when they had prayed, they laid their hands on them. And the word of God increased, and the number of the disciples multiplied in Jerusalem greatly. And a great company of the priests were obedient to the faith. Let's go ahead and pray. Father, Thank you for the opportunity. Father, we just love, I love this time. We can come and study your word and learn something from it. And Father, I pray that tonight would be no exception. Father, that your Holy Spirit would begin to work in our hearts to do something for you. Father, that we would be prepared and ready to, to give our all to sacrifice for you in whatever way you may see fit. Father, thank you for dying on the cross for our sins. We love you so much. We're so, so honored to be able to be able to serve you. Father, I just pray you be with this message tonight. Be with our hearts as we receive it. And we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to preach to you a message that I've entitled, Unity Retained. 
unity retained. How many of you believe that unity needs to be retained? Anybody? Most of us don't think that unity just happens all by itself. And it's not a natural process. This is something that you kind of, you, you develop and you, you work at and you continually work at. It's kind of like uh, going on a diet. You know, this is not really a unified body. There's this one middle section of me that just comes, wants to keep protruding out and getting out there and too far and hanging over my belt. I don't like that. And it's constant. I have to constantly watch that. I have to constantly work at that. There's, there's, a, there's, there's exercising and there's eating properly. If I just ate what I wanted to eat all the time, I'd be far bigger than I am. And so we, get, we have these problems all the time in our physical body. But listen, the same is true in our spiritual body here in our church. There are times where we just need to constantly work on unity. Man, when the, the church is unified and everything's shooting on all cylinders, everything's wonderful... But it can go easily aside if we're not careful. We need to retain unity. So what does the prevailing church do to retain unity when problems arise? Well, I want to show you four uh, things that the, the church here does. Number one, I want you to see the problem. Look at the problem. Verse one. And in those days when the number of the disciples was multiplied, stop there. Listen, the more people you get the more prob- the potential for problems. Just mark it down. The bigger your family gets, the more potential there is for problems. When it was Beth and I, it was bliss. Wonderful. We added Maya, and then tension started happening. Then we added Caleb, and tension began to rise even more. And now Zoe. It's just terrible. No, I'm just kidding. But I'm serious, as you add more people, that becomes more tension. And so here we are, the disciples are multiplying, but that's not really the real problem. The real problem is this, is there arose a murmuring of the Grecians against the Hebrews. Stop there. I don't know if you would remember this, but several weeks ago on a Sunday morning, we, we talked about defeating murmuring. Do you remember what we described murmuring as? Do you remember, this is my definition, so please don't take this and say, well, the the dictionary doesn't say this. This is what my definition is. Murmuring is complaining to your peers because of a distrust of leadership. Now think about that in the context of the children of Israel. They were complaining to their peers about Moses and Aaron. We don't like that you brought us out here. We don't like that you did this. And so here they are, they're murmuring. There's a group of people that are complaining among themselves. Look there again. There arose a murmuring of the Grecians against the Hebrews. So tonight, just for sake of it, you guys are the Hebrews. Okay? And you guys are the Grecians. And so you guys are murmuring against the Hebrews. So what you're doing is you're talking amongst yourself about the Hebrews. Now who is in the Hebrews? There's some wonderful people over here. The apostles are over here. Okay? All of the apostles are Hebrews. They are, they are children of Israel or proselytes of that. And so here we are. You guys have the apostles. You fight among yourselves who the apostles are. I'm not choosing that one. But yet we have the apostles. And so these guys are over here saying this, all this happened and they're fighting and murmuring inside of themselves about these people. So the question is, why? 
right? Well, why are they murmuring? Look at the end of the verse. Because their widows were neglected in the daily ministration. So not only was there murmuring, which by the way, we should not have murmuring in our church. If we have murmuring in our church, that's a problem. But number two, most of the time we have a reason for the murmuring. Number two, it's missed ministry. Missed ministry. And so here we are. Their widows are being neglected in the daily ministration. The the daily service, the, the ministry that's going on, the widows are being neglected. So the murmuring begins. As things were growing, as things were expanding, the widows weren't receiving the attention that they needed. And if they're anything like our widows, just kidding, they weren't being received the attention that they need. And they need attention. Listen, I don't, the Bible doesn't specifically say what attention they needed here. But we do find that, that widows who are widows indeed, they need some things from the church. They need daily provision, they they need water, they need food, they need a place to stay, and really the church was the, the catalyst behind that. The church was the one who was supposed to be helping them because they didn't have anybody else. In fact, the Bible's very clear if there's a a young lady who's a widow, she is not to enter into that. It's only those that have no one else, no sons, no daughters, widows indeed, the Bible uses the term. So they were being neglected. To some, this may seem like an insignificant problem. But obviously, it was something that Luke, was, who is the author of Acts, something that Luke needed to write home about. Because he's obviously writing it down. So this is something that's, that may not be, oh my word, serious. It's, it's not the greatest problem in the world, but it's obviously a problem. And can I say this? Small problems not taken care of well becomes, oh my word, problems really fast. So this is, this is a problem that could potentially get out of hand. So what are the apostles to do? There's this problem that needs to be taken care of. What are they going to do? What, is, what choice do they have? Well, number two, I want to show you the possibilities. Here are the possibilities. This is not a long point. As far as I'm concerned, there are three possibilities. Number one, do nothing. You come to me with a problem and you say, Pastor Yeomans, we have this problem. I have three choices. Number one, I have a choice to do nothing about it. Nope, not touching that one, right? That's a possibility. And the the apostles have the same possibility. Listen, we are not doing anything about that. Walk away, never say anything else, never do anything. Number two is start tending to the needs themselves. The apostles have an opportunity here to take what is going on and tend to those needs themselves. So again, you have a ministry opportunity that you see that you want to do. You come to me, Pastor Yeomans, this is something that we need to do. Okay, and then I start working at that ministry. That's the second option. And the third option is simply what happened. The third option is they can find someone to tend to the needs of those widows. So somebody comes to me, Pastor Yeomans, we need this ministry opportunity. Here you go. And I find somebody to take care of the need of that ministry. 
Those are your three options. I don't really see any other options. Maybe you could think of a few others, but I think those are the three possibilities. So let's see what they did. Number three, I wanted you to see the proposition. The proposition. Look here in verse three. The Bible says, wherefore, brethren. Okay, so watch this. The 12 call the multitude of the disciples unto them. And they say, verse three, wherefore, brethren, look ye out among you seven men of honest report, full of the Holy Ghost and wisdom, who may, we may appoint over this business. So we see the proposition number one under the proposition I want you to see they were to seek. They were to seek. See, again, look, look ye out among you, seven men. Seek among you. Notice the two words, among you. Who was he talking to? Give me a little bit of feedback tonight. Who was he talking to? Say that again. The Cretans, good. Somebody else. What does the Bible say? Who, is, who, are they, who are the apostles talking to? I heard somebody over here say it. The disciples. Okay? This, don't make this too hard. Okay? Stay with me. I'm not, I'm not, no trick questions here tonight. Okay? He's talking to the disciples. What are disciples? Followers of Christ, right? They're, they're, they're searching after Christ. They're looking for Christ. They are begging for Christ and they want to follow Christ. Now you have the apostles. And then you see 120 disciples underneath that. And then the disciples begin to multiply. So there are a multiplication of people searching after Christ, looking for Christ. And so he says, look out among you. So there's, there's requirements here. What are the requirements? Let's look at them. Must be of an honest report. They must be honest report. That means they must be known in, in, in the community. Listen, these weren't just, hey, show up one day and yeah, you're a good guy, we'll put you into this job. Or listen, hey, you're, you're, you're uh, I mean, you're questionable, but we'll, you, you look like you're able-bodied, we'll put you into that. No, this is honest report. People knew who they were. They were honest men, they were good men. Let's continue. Full of the Holy Ghost. Now how hard... How physically demanding, how spiritually demanding is it to serve widows? In my opinion, probably not terribly spiritually demanding. Not even physically demanding. Yet here we are, they're looking for men in and among the disciples who are full of the Holy Ghost. Listen, it's, it's hard to find anybody full of the Holy Ghost to do anything Yet they're looking for people to serve tables that are full of the Holy Ghost. This was a requirement. What's the last requirement? Full of Holy Ghost and wisdom. Wisdom. These are, these are men that are wise. These are men that have made good decisions in their life. These are men that have done well and, and they're showing it. They might even have white hair because they're so wise. These are men that have stood the test of time, that have gone through some things that are wise. You see, the fact of the matter was they weren't just random men off the street. These were well-known, godly men who were following God. They weren't just members of the church. They were actively seeking God. They were disciples. They weren't just attenders. 
They weren't just on the fringes and somebody trying to get them involved. No, these were people that were involved in God and looking for something to do. So number one, they were to seek. Number two, I want you to see that they were set. They were set. Look at verse 5. The Bible says in verse 5, And the saying pleased the whole multitude. And they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Ghost, and Philip, and Procurus, and Nicanor, and Timon, and Parmenas, and Nicholas, a proselyte of Antioch. Look at verse 6. Whom they set before the apostles. And look what else they did. And when they had prayed, they laid their hands on them. Again, I'm, I'm thinking like personally in our church, if I had this type of thing, what would I do? I would look out some good quality people that would do this. Now would I have this list and would I ask somebody else to find them for me? Listen, these guys are taking this very seriously. This is the work of God after all. You say, Pastor Jones, it's not that big of a deal. It doesn't matter. They bring them before the apostles. The apostles look them over and go, yes, we know these seven men are wonderful men. And they pray for them and they lay their hands on them as if to initiate them into the service of Jesus Christ. They laid their hands on them. This seemingly insignificant ministry was taken very seriously. And that, that begs the question for me. Why is this so serious? Why is this something that we really need to focus on? Why is, this, why is this so incredibly important that widows are taken care of? And I'm not trying to play it down. I'm not trying to make, make this a, a passe or whatever. But what I'm trying to get at is the Bible is very clear. This is very important. This is something that needed to be done. But why? So I want to give you the third point underneath this, and that's sense. What's the sense? Why? I want you to see in verse 2 what he says. Then the twelve called the multitude of the disciples unto them and said, watch this now. It is not reason that we should leave the word of God and serve tables. That just upped the ante a little bit. Let's go jump down to verse 4. So you find men, in verse 3, he says, and we point over this business, verse 4, but we will give ourselves continually to prayer and to the ministry of the word. You see, the importance of this was that there was no sense in the apostles leaving the word of God and prayer to serve tables. And so what's happening is, the importance of it is, is that now these people, these seven men, are going to allow the apostles to keep reading the word of God and studying and ministering in the word of God and praying. What, what, what importance would you put on that? That's a question only you can answer. What importance, what importance would you put on somebody reading the Bible and ministering in the word of God and praying? That's for you to decide. But I think that's where the importance comes in. I don't, I don't think it was that the apostles were like, we're not going to do that. We're too uppity up and we're too important and we walked with Jesus. I, I, don't, I don't see that from this. It's not that they weren't willing to. 
But their important work was the work of God. The word of God in prayer. That was the best use of their time. Someone once said this, that delegation is one of the most misunderstood and abused areas of leadership. Most misunderstood and abused area of leadership. Listen, I can almost guarantee you that there are leaders in, across the country, across the world, that delegate things, that push things aside because simply they just don't want to do those things. Or they're simply too lazy to do those things. How many of you would say that about the apostles? They're, they're lazy and they just don't want to do that. I wouldn't say that. I wouldn't say that they're lazy. These men are out preaching the word of God. They're out teaching the word of God. They're out healing people. They're out going into prison and being broken free from prison and going right back to the same place and preaching the word of God again. Listen, these men are not just pushovers and lazy and sitting at their desk doing nothing all day. These men are hard workers. These men are doing what God has called them to do. So most people think that if a leader delegates, he's just sitting around doing nothing all day. They were diligent in the world. Delegation in this context, where we are, is essential. It is needed. It is important. So the proposition is simply... To find out, seek you out among you. Seven men, and we bring them before us, and we'll lay our hands upon them and pray for them because we need to give ourselves to the ministry of the word in a prayer. But the story's not over. Number four, I want you to see the product. Look at what happens. Verse seven. All of this happens, and the word of God, what? Increased. How many of you think that's important? 100% that's important. The word of God increased. And the num- which, look at this. And the number of the disciples multiplied in Jerusalem greatly. They, they multiply even more. And not only that, in a great company of the priests, the religious leaders that were throwing them in jail before, they were obedient to the faith. You see, the fact of the matter is, things are going wonderful. The word of God is preached more. More people are discipled, and other people come to Christ. And the word of God is is studied more, and looked at more, and more people are discipled. And it just keeps going in a wonderful circle because there were seven men full of the Holy Ghost, of a good report, an honest report, and that were wise that could simply take care of widows. You see, it's that important. The word of God increased. Great things happened. People were discipled. They were matured. It's an amazing thing to see a well-oiled machine work the way that God intended it to work. If you'll allow me, I've got a little bit of extra time. Let's play the scenario out in the other possibilities. Let's play the scenario out that the, the, the apostles do nothing. I want you just to think about that with me. These Grecians come to the apostles and they say, listen, our widows are being neglected in the daily ministration. You need to do something about this. So, okay, we'll talk, we'll talk amongst ourselves. We'll figure it out. 
days, weeks, months, years go by and nothing changes. How happy do you think the Grecians are? Not too happy. Do you think that they're still going to trust in their leadership? I don't. And before you know it, distrust is overwhelmingly spreading throughout the congregation. And before you know it, the church is splintered because they don't agree with what so-and-so did. And now there's this feeling, this, this unity is now gone. There's a struggle. There's a bone of contention. There's a little bit of bitterness welling up, a root of bitterness, if you will. So that's one possibility. And you know what happened there? Easily that root of bitterness springs up and the gates of hell start prevailing against the church. You say, Pastor Jones, there's no way. I'm telling you. We've seen it. We've seen crazy things happen. I've seen it in churches that I've attended. It's crazy over something small. What's the second possibility? What if the apostles, what if the apostles just did it themselves? What if they just, you know what, hey, yeah, that's something that needs to be taken care of. We'll go take care of that. And they begin working hard and they begin doing those things for those widows. And then something else comes up. Hey, apostles, you guys are doing a great job here. You're doing a wonderful job. We need you to do something else. Before long, what happens? The ministry of the word of God and prayer fall by the wayside because they're busy doing other things. And then they get up to minister in the word of God and they're not ready or whatever it may be. And then people start criticizing them. How come you haven't spent time in the word of God lately? They begin wondering, hey, this isn't, this isn't what we, we got. And, and, and again, this murmuring will just continue. It'll just continue to swell. Before long again, the church is disunified And Satan, again, is prevailing against the church. This is not what God had intended. This is not what God put into practice. This is not what God wanted for his church. You play both of these out just a little bit further. And I think if you have any imagination at all and you've seen any of these things happen, people will begin to disintegrate. The church will begin to disintegrate. And the gates of hell will prevail. You see, I believe the best case scenario is what happened. I want you to look at one more verse with me here in this passage. Look at verse 5. The Bible says this, And the saying pleased the whole multitude. The saying pleased the whole multitude. Instead of being frustrated by it, Everybody was like, yeah, that sounds awesome. Let's do that. Let's, let's seek out seven men. And hey, Stephen, yeah, you're in. Let's do this, man. We're, we're going to have this ministry so that, listen, these guys can continue to seek the Lord and spend time in the word of God and pray. Wonderful. Now, if you'll allow me, let's bring this home just a little bit. I don't like talking about this because it involves me. But let me ask you a question. What is the best use of my time? 
That's for you to answer. You don't have to say it out loud. Is the best use of my time running around trying to put out fires all the time? Let me ask you, let me ask you another question. What is the best use of Pastor Holland and Pastor Levi's time? See, those guys are ministering to people every single day. They're trying to study Pastor Levi's preaching right now. They're ministering to those people. They have sheep. What is the best use of his time? Running around trying to put out fires. What's the best use of their time? Now, I'm not trying to call us apostles. Please don't misunderstand me. We are in no way, shape, or form apostles. But the Bible is giving us a very good breakdown of what's going on here. Believe the best use of our time is being in the word of God and praying. Listen, please, please don't misunderstand this. Does this mean that we're not willing or able to do some of the things that need to be done around here? Absolutely not. We're not above anybody else. But I believe this with all my heart. If our church is going to grow, then we need to retain unity by repositioning people to fill needs. Listen, I love this church. I think this church is amazing in filling needs. We've had great success in this already. We have nine different children's classes that run weekly here. Get that, nine different ones. I can't possibly teach all night. So some of you are already doing those things. Some of you are already working in children's classes. We have five different Sunday school classes above the children's classes. I can't possibly teach all of those. In fact, I'm so excited. Some of you have seen me in your classes on Sunday morning. I have turned my class over to another man, Randy Hughes. And he's taking that so that it frees me up a little bit to spend time with our Ministry Connect leaders and understand and try to help and disciple them as well. See, our goal should be 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 2 in which we teach those things that we've been taught that to other men, to faithful men, who shall be able to teach others also and just keep bringing it around and keep going around and just keep expanding and keep expanding and keep growing because the number of the, the disciples has multiplied. There is no possible way that we could have do, we could do what we are doing just by the staff that we have. No possible way. You folks are doing an amazing job already, but please listen. It cannot stop here. It can't stop here. And I no, 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 please don't listen. I'm not trying to ask you to do more. I'm not begging you, hey, you're already in a Sunday school class. You're already on the bus. You're already uh, in the nursery. You're already doing all these things. You're already in the music program. I'm not asking you to do more. I'm asking you to think about something. There are so many other aspects of ministry that we as a church need to focus on. I was talking to somebody the other day. And for sure on a weekly basis, I think of things that I believe our church needs and should do in the days to come. And the average complaint of any pastor or any church that you talk to is the fact that there just aren't enough people to get the work done. 
There just aren't enough people to do what God has called us to do. So can I challenge us all, myself included? Will every individual in this church tonight surrender themselves to be used of God in any capacity that the church might be able to use them? Every single person. Every individual. Because, listen, I, I, I believe this with my whole heart. And there's, I can give you much uh, statistics in different things behind all of this. But I believe our church will never continue to grow unless we have people stepping up and repositioning themselves and saying, Pastor, I'll work over there. I'll take care of that. Listen, there are going to be some requirements. There are going to be some requirements. We're going to need some people that are of honest report. We're going to need some people that are full of the Holy Ghost and wisdom. We need people that will take this seriously. And listen, if God were to ever call you, if God were to ever call you to teach and preach the word of God and be in prayer, I think that's the highest calling any of you could ever have. And I pray for, for all of you that God would give you the opportunity as men specifically to stand and teach or preach the word of God. And I hope every one of you are taking time in prayer and working toward that. We need to teach others also. One last thought and I'll be finished. This book of Acts was written in A.D. 60. Just under 2,000 years ago. And there was a need. Because in their minds, get this, in their minds, Jesus was coming back. Behold, I, I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go, I will come again and receive you unto myself that where I am, there you may be also. So listen, I fully believe that they were expecting Jesus to come back in their lifetime. And so that's why they're selling things and that's why they're giving it to, the, to, to all things common. And that's why they're jumping in and they're doing ministry. Listen, 8060 is come and gone. We're in 2019. If, if Jesus was close to coming back then, he's a lot closer to coming back now. We have this amount of time. We need to retain unity. Listen, some of us need to get on board. Listen, I'm not trying to say that every person in this room is all it should be. I'm not trying to say I'm all I should be. I'm not. But collectively, as a unified unit, moving forward the way that God intended it, I fully believe we can see the word of God proclaimed. People, people rooted in the word of God, discipled, and people getting saved. And learning from the word of God and people being discipled and people getting saved. People learning and it goes, continues and continues. My challenge is simple. Will you allow God, will you surrender yourself to be used of God in any capacity, that your church, your local church, needs you. I hope you will.